Hey, Pie Tribe, buckle up for a new episode of the Passive Income Examiner, the number one podcast for budding entrepreneurs and business owners looking to diversify their income with passive strategies. Welcome to season two, focused on building successful online businesses with evergreen marketing solutions. I'm your host, Lindsay Sutherland. Thanks for joining me. All right. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Examiner. I'm so excited today to bring this amazing guest, Lucas Root, to the show today. Lucas, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And I'm excited to hear more about you. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? I would love to. <laughs> I, uh, I spent 17 years on Wall Street doing mergers and acquisitions. Um, while I was there, I always had a side gig going on. My first two side gigs were real estate businesses, um, which, uh, which helped me become who I am today. Um, as I decided that it was time for me to make an exit from Wall Street, I launched a podcast and um, blog for uh, food. I was a big foodie, still am. Um, and uh, I used that as an opportunity to learn how to create and engage with an audience kind of like what you do here. And it was an amazing uh, learning tool for exactly that purpose. And um, I did that for about three years until the, you know, I got to the point where I was pretty comfortable that I knew how to, you know, build an audience and engage with them. Um, and then I closed that down and, and uh, launched my first real business, not side gig, as a consultant. Um, and I landed the Pokemon company who I proudly display here over my left shoulder. For those of you who can see this, I landed the Pokemon company as my first client. I've been with them for six and a half years now. Um, and along the way, I've also had an opportunity to start several other businesses. And, um, at the point at this moment, I own six different businesses. Um, I still consult for the Pokemon company as well as several other clients. And I have an amazing opportunity to be able to spend some of my time talking to people like you. Well, thank you. And thank you for, you know, coming here to share your wisdom with all of us and the listeners. Let me, let me ask you, what do you specifically consult on? Um, or maybe it's not specific, maybe it's general, but <laughs> what do you, what do you help people with? Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I love the consulting work I do. Um, I, I consider myself a strategist. I think that the brands that hire me and, and brands that typically hire me are brands who don't execute. I think that they think of me as a fractional COO. So essentially somebody to kind of help direct which direction they're going in. They kind of have their vision, but they're not quite sure how to get there. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. If, if you I'm could surprised. That, Sorry, where does that fit in with Pokemon? It seems like a large, yeah, coming, of course, this is probably what listeners are thinking too, but like, how does a huge <laughs> company like that not have direction? It seems very like something more small business owners or, you know, solopreneurs might struggle with. You, you'd think that if you look at several of the largest companies in the world, you're going to see two very different approaches to being successful. Everybody's familiar with the Amazon model. Amazon, Google, uh, they do 100% of everything internal. Um, they even build their own systems they'd rather build than buy. So it wouldn't surprise me if in not very Google, in fact, builds their own um, operating system for their computers. It wouldn't surprise me if Amazon starts doing that sometime fairly soon too. Like to that level of we're going to do it ourselves. 
And I respect that. And I, and I honor that. And I think that there's a place in the world for that. And they're not my customer, Google, Amazon, they're not my customer. Now, if you look at the other two, you know, or two of the other, you know, largest best known brands in the world, the Apple company and um, LVMH, these are companies that prefer not to do everything themselves. And, you know, most people don't think objectively about the Apple company in that way, but it's true. In fact, the Apple company is a little bit a technology company, much more a brand. And almost everything they do, they outsource. Almost everything they outsource, which means that um, they don't have to focus on the execution of the things that make them a successful company. They outsource execution. And when a company makes the decision to go in that direction, that's where I come in. Um, and the Pokemon company, like the Apple company, uh, they outsource their execution. Very cool. Interesting to know. And that's very, uh, they're very true. You know, there's two ways to go about it. I've seen that as well. So let's talk today about one of the strengths that you bring to the table. We kind of chatted about it, prelim- you know, preliminarily before we got on here. And that is building a community. Obviously, that's important. And clearly, Pokemon's done that very well. So that must be attribution, attribution to you in, in your ways. Um, but how do you go about like helping even a large brand, a small brand? Are there any differences between? I guess let me slow down because my mind just went like exploding with questions for you, <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> let me just give you one at a time instead of rapid fire. Okay. So whether it's a small brand or a large brand. Is there any differences in how to build up a community and how to really nurture that space? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, um, there are potentially um, significant differences, but it's not based on size. Although, and, and here's an interesting thing that probably people haven't thought about. Uh, every business goes through pivots, every single one, 100%. There, there's no such thing as a business that started out thinking that they were going to be successful at something. And they had zero dollars in revenue. And when they got to a billion in revenue, they were still exactly on the same track as what they thought. Not a, not a one, even Facebook. And Facebook is one of the most streamlined stories out there. Even they pivoted. Every business pivots. I have noticed a pattern in pivots where it happens at predictable intervals. Um, typically the first pivot happens somewhere around 10 times the first year of revenue. So if you made $10,000 in revenue, when you hit a hundred thousand in revenue, you're probably going to pivot. And it might be a really significant pivot. You might throw away 90% of what you thought was working for you and focus on only 10% of that. And then as you continue growing, you're probably going to pivot again at 10 X again. So you, you pivot at a million in revenue. And each, each of these intervals are predictable. Um, they change, but each of these intervals are predictable. And in the process of going through that pivot, you're not just changing your products. You also change your audience. You change your community. You change the way that you engage with the community. And ho- hopefully you're fine-tuning, but that's not always true either. Sometimes you get to the point where you're like, all right, I hit a million and I really am as big as I'm ever going to get. I have to pivot in order to be able to keep growing. And so at that point, you're not actually fine tuning. You're throwing spaghetti against the wall again in order to expand so that you can fine tune again on another pivot. Hey, let me ask you something. What if you knew the exact formula for pinpointing a passive product? You had the right steps to create and launch that product. And even more importantly, the perfect recipe to generating sales on autopilot. 
Well, friends, that is exactly what we're doing in the upcoming eight week scale with passive income mastermind. Look, if you've been trying to scale your business, but you're really not sure what steps to take, or you feel overwhelmed by your to-do list, and you want to cut down on the time it takes to figure out how to launch and scale a passive income product, then this mastermind is for you. Not only do you get weekly training, spotlight coaching sessions, tactical bonuses, and my focus strategy on your business, but you also have the opportunity to be a part of an amazingly supportive community with like-minded, driven business owners who, just like you, are on the same kind of journey. People to help keep each other accountable, give honest, practical feedback to one another, and inspire momentum as you go all the way to level up your business in a big way. I am so excited to announce that this mastermind is accepting applications. In order for me to give you the most of myself and my one-to-one experience in this mastermind, I am keeping registrations limited. So be sure to head over to thepassiveincomeexaminer.com forward slash mastermind to read more about this eight-week program and to register early. Oh, by the way, did I mention the extra bonuses that are a part of this? Not only do you get everything I've already talked about as far as the training, the one-on-one, the camaraderie, but we have a special guest, Emily Tornator, who's going to be helping you one-to-one work on your back office workflow and organization to help you carve out the time you need to be able to complete this project. Listen, friends, the whole purpose of this mastermind is for your success. I have my eyes, my ears, my, all my attention on this so that you get from A to Z. This isn't like other masterminds or group activities where you just follow through a pre-recorded training and you're left to figure it out yourself, maybe with a weekly call or something like that. No, you get one-on-one attention. We'll be having breakout groups, co-working sessions. Friends, the whole purpose, again, like I said, is for you to be successful. So you really have nothing to lose. Head over to PassiveIncomeExaminer.com forward slash mastermind and discover what's in store for you in this eight-week program. Interesting. So so essentially you're saying that whether you're a small business or a large business, it's kind of irrelevant. It just basically means that as you grow, you're going to have to find new ways to engage, not necessarily even have to, but it just kind of inevitably will happen um, Mm -hmm. in which your community is changing and evolving as well. So how can a brand let's, let's start on a, you know, beginner newbie scale, and then maybe walk through a couple examples of how that could happen. Like, How would somebody really nurture their community space? And then how can they even set themselves up? Maybe you can give us some insight to make that transition a little bit more smoother so we can be prepared. Mm, I love it. Talk to them. (laughs) You want to set yourself up for success. Talk to your community. Get active feedback all the time as fast as possible. This is actually the reason why um, one of the strongest pieces of advice that you'll see floating around in the startup sphere is... Uh, get your product into the market as fast as possible. You know, figure out what your minimum viable product, your MVP is, and get it into the market as fast as possible. The reason for that isn't so much to get sales, but because the product is your primary communication tool. Now, that doesn't have to be true. You can have a podcast and have that be your primary communication tool, or you could have um, a blog and have that primary 
communication tool, or you could have parties inside your offices once a week and have that be your primary communication tool. There are lots of different ways to communicate with your audience, um, depending on where they are and how you have built your business and what your kind of products are. And the, the more of those ways that you engage with, the faster you'll be able to get feedback feedback on your approach, feedback on um, who your customer is, which is really important, feedback on what your customer wants from you, which is really important. So, you know, get your product out there because that's your first and primary and most obvious communication tool. Realize that it is a communication tool. Your product is a communication tool. Um, And then um, have that conversation with your customer as often and as quickly as possible. Okay. And so is there any specific, um, I guess rules, best practices is the best word I could think of to say like in, in sort of how to nurture and build that community to begin with. And another question on that note is like, should we launch a product before we have a community or should we have a community before we launch the product? Like it's kind of, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) Well, um, awesome question. (laughs) Uh, maybe we can talk about best practices next, but you caught me with this. When should we launch the product? You have a community. Everybody does. There are probably, for everyone who's listening, there are probably an average of 200 people that'll answer the phone and know your first name when, when you call them. So you have a community and your product through you has a community. Now that relationship is going to flip-flop at some point. You'll you'll have a, a relationship with the community of your business through your product at some point. But when you're first starting out, your product has a relationship with your community through you, right? So there isn't really any time when you don't have a community. There may be a time when your product doesn't, but it has a community through you. Now you have 200 people that will answer the phone for you. And Um, You have two, three, five employees that are helping you get there or co-founders or advisors that are all helping you get there. And they have 200 people that will answer the phone for them. So you've already got a community of, let's say, a thousand people already right now. If you want to be a successful startup, you need to call every single one of those thousand people, every single one of them on the phone with your voice, spending your own personal time, not automated text messages. Because you're right now acting on behalf of your product and your product doesn't know these people and these people don't know your product, which means you have to make it personal. You have to make it personal. Okay. So you have a community, launch your product into your community as soon as possible. Yeah. I like how you personify the product in a way, like make it, I really like the way you're describing this because I think it's, it's good for people who are just getting started. I think a lot of times, especially it's easy to identify as if our product is us, you know? And so when people shun that product, so to speak, or it doesn't take off the way we want it to, we get very vested in that feeling Mm -hmm. as if it's attached to us. So it's really cool how you kind of separate that into its own space, but like, look at it, like you're basically introducing a child into the world. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. I like it. That's great. Okay. So that, I mean, that kind of actually touches on the mindset piece, which I want to dive into a little bit too. Um, maybe we can 
we'll, we'll get to the best practices, but let's talk about the mindset because that's something that initially we kind of were going to lead into. And that was a good segue as far as, you know, how can business owners separate themselves a little bit, pull themselves back from their business and really look at it objectively to be able to help make those decisions that need to be made with clarity. Mm. Ooh, tough question. Damn. <laughs> You, you're hitting me with the hard ones, Lindsay. <laughs> so um, start with, and and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but it but it's real and it works. Start with meditation. A lot of people have a really hard time separating their thoughts from themselves. Okay, um, and meditation is the place where that happens, where you you spend some time observing the thoughts that pass through your mind, as though they're um, separate from yourself and meta observation. Um, it's, it's a very weird process the first time you do it. And then it gets comfortable and you settle into it and you're like, all right, I get this. I can do this. So start with that. The reason you need to start with that is because the process of taking yourself out of being in the thought flow is the same process that you have to go through as a business owner as though you're you're the executive processing the observing body inside your thoughts and your brain your business works the same way the thoughts flow through your business the processes flow through your business the people the actions the activities the products all flow through your business and in order to be able to separate yourself and observe that as though it's a third party you have to have that same practice and those same skills that you use when you're meditating your capacity to meta observe. Very nice. I agree with you hundred percent. So it doesn't sound weird to me. <laughs> and I think for anybody listening who maybe hasn't tried it, it is very effective. I agree. Uh, it's definitely something that gives me clarity and kind of gives me that piece, especially when I'm feeling really chaotic or overwhelmed. One little piece though, that sometimes I do struggle with, and maybe you can add some insight to that is Really, I can get clear on myself and like the processes I want to put out there, but sometimes I feel disconnected with what maybe my audience is wanting. Let's just say in meditation, you're not going to necessarily get insight to that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have experience with that, but like, how would you know, um, let's say, for example, let me just get put a scenario together. Let's say, for example, a business owner has launched a product. They've reached out to people. And it's not going anywhere. They feel flat, you know, that stagnant feeling and they're lost. They're Mm -hmm. not sure what the next step should be. Right. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody like that know, should I tweak my product? Is it that I'm not talking to the right people? You know, how do they kind of get clarity on that? Mm, I love that question. That's fantastic. So there are lots of different kinds of communication tools and you have to think about those communication tools um, objectively. So a podcast, for example, and a product are inherently one-way communication tools, right? So you're communicating out. And then when somebody chooses to purchase that product, they're engaging in a one-way communication tool back. They're giving you cash for your product. So it's it's the intersection of two different one-way communication tools. And you can take some data from that and draw some conclusions based on how that happened and, and, you know, whether or not it matched your expectations, but it's still just a one-way communication tool. If you want to have meaningful insight from your audience that 
that doesn't come from a one-way communication tool, a podcast, an email blast, um, a, a text message blast, offering a product for sale, those are all one-way communication tools, then you need to open a dialogue. You need to invite a two-way communication scenario. So that could be calling people on the phone. That could be um, inviting a group of people to come for a focus group. Um, that could be interviewing people. Um, the nice thing about a podcast and a blog is that it gives you an opportunity to interview people. The challenge is that most people who have a podcast or a blog are interviewing other people like themselves. They're not interviewing their customers. So um, use your communication tools for what they are, get the information you can from them. And when they're not serving you, you're going to have to move to a different communication tool. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's interesting that we're having this conversation because it seems like recently this has been a hot topic among some of the other guests and just in general, other business owners I've been talking to is how to build that community. And really what's, what's really more fascinating is as people are moving into these online businesses, more and more people, right? It almost seems as though we're becoming disconnected. We're, I don't know if we're isolating or if it's just a nature of the online space in a way, it's kind of like a byproduct. But, uh, you know, I think being more mindful of taking that extra step to build that community and, you know, create relationships with people, I think is such a key piece that we're missing uh, beyond just disseminating information or education. I think it's really more about like that heart space and like connecting with people beyond the product even, you know, um, so can you maybe give some insight onto how like larger brands do that? I mean, it seems like very difficult for something like Pokemon to connect with all of their users. Obviously there's millions or billions. <laughs> so what would a company like that do? Um, it, that's, a that, that's less fun. It's less fun because, um, an, it, the, the bigger a brand gets, the less interested they are in having two-way communication. Um, and that's true across the board. I mean, how many of you have tried to get a hold of Facebook support? <laughs> Facebook <laughs> is a community, like a community platform, and you can't talk to anyone inside of Facebook. Like there's no one to talk to. There's no way to talk to them. Um, and that's more or less universally true across the brands. They're just, as they get bigger, they're less interested in having two-way communication. Do you agree with that? No, I think it's, a, I think it's sad. Um, I think it encourages the wrong kind of behavior in the world. I, um, the more disconnected we are, the less, I think, I think that con connection and community are elemental to humanity. And the more disconnected we allow ourselves to be, the less human we are. I agree. That's great. And that's true. It'd be nice to see that change. I mean, just to go on a little bunny trail, it'd be nice to see that evolve. And really, it'd be cool to see a company come out that can actually master that two-way communication with people effectively and, and in a way that like doesn't cost them a lot. Because I understand, you know, from a business perspective, you end up having to hire people and they have to have these conversations and then, you know, how to do that. But with the technology that's coming out, who knows, like something really magical may come out. I'm interested to see, especially if you're connecting with these amazing people, like what happens? 
think that there are some franchises that do that really well. Um, like uh, the, a lot of the different franchise gyms actually do that really well. Each of the local franchises, you know, maybe it's TKO that you're going to, or maybe it's a CrossFit box. Um, each of those local franchises, those are, uh, you know, a, a large community of franchises and each of those local ones is a community in, in and of themselves. Hmm. I think the franchise model actually lends itself more to, ironically, a more human model, a more connected, more community model. Yeah. So let's talk about like some mid-level brands, right? Obviously, as a small scale, it's it's a lot easier to engage with people one-to-one, but mid-level mm-hmm. brands where maybe there's- and in fact, you have to. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, if there's a CEO and then they have employees, let's say a car dealership or, you know, a, a contractor or something like that, how would a brand like that, um, maybe what are some best practices that they can apply to their, to their business and how can they execute on those? Ooh, fun. So if I were running a mid-level brand myself, I probably would create a certain kind of event that that goes well with my product. Um, And I would create it in a way that allows me to go to some of my hotbed areas. Let's say you're a mid-level brand and you're in New York, Chicago, LA, and in other places as well. But let's say 50% of your business is in those three cities. I probably would have um, A, a flagship store in each of those cities, actual brick and mortar. I probably would have a a periodic event, maybe quarterly in each of those cities that I personally attend, me personally as CEO, I'm there, I'm meeting people, I'm shaking people's hands, I'm having conversations, I'm allowing my consumers to, to meet me, to talk to me, to share their frustrations, to share their wins and joys. Um, I think that probably is a really good start. And from there, you'll come up with ideas. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of my dad. So my dad started his business. He was a flooring contractor, but it was like the 1970s when he started. And he got his business going through the Chamber of Commerce, through networking events. And networking events were different back then. It wasn't like, it wasn't just, let me stand up and give you my 30 second elevator pitch. You know, it was you could, they, they had mixers. They kind of hung out together. They supported each other. They did community activities together. It was about, you know, really creating this network where you referred business because they were your buddies, you know? And in a way it just really symbolizes that to me. I like, I like your message because I agree with you. I think we need to go back to that, like 1970s way of communicating before online space was such a thing. Ironically, it's so much easier now because of the online space. It's so much easier now if, if you go the community route. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what are some of the ways that you nurture community within your businesses? Just like that. Um, I own, it's funny that you said contracting. I own three retail flooring stores in central California. Um, and the, the number one consistent message that I give to my store managers is go out, spend time with people in the community get to know them, get to love them, refer them business, and they will do the same. And that's how you're going to grow. Just like that. Well, how about that? We just went full circle. (laughs) I love it. All right. Good deal. 
So, I mean, these are all great, great topics to do. Um, is there any other kind of experiences that you can relate that would share with the audience more in maybe some stories or things that you've seen, how, how building a community was successful for somebody? Yeah, fun. Um, in my consulting business, um, and yes, I own lots of other businesses as well, but in my consulting business, I have never advertised. Um, if somebody were to go look my website up right now, they would get the, the big flashing red thing that says, don't go here because your, your security will be compromised um, on my website. This is actually very true because I haven't updated my consulting website in over three years, and it is still my primary source of income. Um, I get 100% of my consulting business through referrals. Uh, it's been six and a half years and it makes me good money. So build a community, build a community of people that you, that you love, people that you want to support. Um, and, you know, take that as seriously as you possibly can and they will support you back, but don't do it because you want them to, to, to support you, but do it because you love them and you want to support them and, and then do support them. Absolutely. I have to go on a bunny trail here because <laughs> please do, you know, you're inspiring me and you know what you're really speaking to the people here. Like those of you that are listening to this, if you're a business owner, especially, especially in the online space, and you've been listening to everybody else about, you know, how to have social media best practices, how to have the best online business, how to have, you know, Google this and Google that. All of that is wonderful and it works. And there's definitely no, I'm not putting any strategy down. What I'm saying is if it doesn't align with you, listen to your heart. And I'm going to give you an example. This is something that's actually been coming up for me. I have hired three business consultants in the last 18 months, and they all have amazing strategies. They all do it differently. And I've learned all of their strategies, but two of the three don't feel aligned. Every time I try it out, it just feels like I'm pushing myself harder than it just doesn't, it just feels like I'm rubbing myself the wrong way. I guess. I don't know what to say. Like, you know, it just doesn't feel right. It's like sandpaper like, and like my and, razor this morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's this one that I keep coming back to and it doesn't involve social media. And it just, it literally is podcasting, connecting with people here, building a community, right. And, and offering that consulting. And I keep coming back to it. And I find that it lights me up. And the reason I'm saying this is because like, if what Lucas is talking about is lighting you up and you're just like, man, that just sounds so nice. I just wish I could. You can, he's proof. <laughs> you can. Yeah. yeah. Four, four of my six businesses are run a hundred percent direct referral only, no online, no social media, no marketing. And do you participate in things like BNI or networking groups to build and leverage that community space? Um, not for, not for consulting. Uh, I, I mean, I certainly could, but, but don't need to, <laughs> but, but yes, my three floor stores. Yes. They, they're in the chambers. They go to BNI, they go to, you know, what they, they go to, to big store openings and, and spend money. They, they take lunches out on the town and, and over tip their waiters. And I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And, and I approve those as expenses. That's great. Yeah. Um, be in there, be a part of the community, support the community, share with the community. 
Um, you know, love them. Love them enough so that you can't imagine spending your time doing anything other than serving them. And they'll serve you back. It will just happen. It's true. Yeah. I love it. This is great. Okay. So it's yeah. just cool. It's cool to have okay. so many different diverse guests on the show. I just really did. I just love what I do. This is so fun. <laughs> I, I want to add to that. I'm not doing that because it's not because it's my only approach. Um, my guess is that you looked me up and your guests will as well. I have a very robust social media presence. Um, I'm, I'm not, it, you know, the 17,000 followers I have on Instagram is not particularly big, but it's strongly middle of the road. Um, I, I have 3000 connections on LinkedIn. I absolutely could be using social media in the way that people tell you to use it. I don't. I don't. Social media is not out there for me to get business. Social media for me is a platform for me to share this, to help people out, to build a community of people that I love and want to support. And maybe they'll help me out and maybe they won't. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, and in the end, I think a lot of people are following you because of the connection you made with them, not necessarily just because you see where I'm coming from. Yeah. So yeah, it just is evidence of your community and of the givingness of that to me anyway. <laughs> awesome. Well, so Lucas, how can you help people? Like, I guess, where can they find you if they do want to connect with you? If the, if the website isn't necessarily the best place to go. Well, the consulting one. Um, okay. lucasroot.com is updated and is kept current because um, that's where I share this. And so um, while I don't need to keep my consulting website up to date, I do need to keep this up to date. Okay. This is important to me, sharing, sharing with you and your audience and, and giving them something that, that, that they want and that they need and that I've come by through the school of hard knocks. Um, that's important to me. And that okay. it, the reward is, is it's self-rewarding. I want to backtrack on one little thing you just said, like you mentioned, I think we breezed over it. And I think part of it is just coming to me. You mentioned you got your start in wall street. Uh That must've felt like a very uncommunity space. I don't know. Cause it very much was. (laughs) Okay. So how do you get from a space like that to where you are? I mean, what transformation happened for you? Oh, well, um, is this, uh, do you, do you share the video? Um, I haven't, but I have considered it. My son is considering being my YouTube manager. <laughs> let me, let me share something real quick. And I can, I can send this so that you can include it in the show notes. Okay. If it's giving you a hard time, let me know. It still won't let me share. Oh, there we go. I should now. All right. So this right here is a picture of me. And um, you can look at the two, you know, side by side, my my current and that that past. Um, and again, I'll send it to you. Um, this was my uh, this was my wedding anniversary in 2013 while I was on Wall Street. And um, I look at that picture and I see somebody who's on the doorsteps to death. Um, and thank God my wife is the same. She looked at that, that man across the table from her at our wedding anniversary. And she said, you look like death. Um, and that was because I was allowing my wall street career to kill me. 
it doesn't, it doesn't do it all by itself. You have to open up the door and let it suck you dry. And I did, and I opened up the door and I was letting it suck me dry. Um, and you, you saw the picture. I was also paying the price for that. And she loves me enough to, to push me to get out, you know, start, start that, start that food blog, uh, start building your path forward. Um, and so we did, we started the food blog and we built that path forward. We learned how to engage with a community. And the next thing we did was start my consulting business and it worked. Um, it took some time. Don't get me wrong. My first year consulting, even with the Pokemon, which is a, an enormous brand. I still only made $8,000 that year, but, um, I, it, it was not zero. It was a path and it was a way for me to get out. And, and that's what I did. Um, but it started from a moment of, of not so much pain. I, I wasn't feeling pain in that, in that body. But when my, my wife said to me, you look like death. I mean, like that it, it came down on me like a ton of bricks. I was like, holy crap, I'm, I'm not the man I want to be. I'm letting my job kill me. And that's not the life I want to live. I understand and can relate. And I'm so grateful for you. And for anybody else who's gone through that transformation and thank goodness your wife was there to speak the truth on such a poignant day, even. <laughs> yeah. It was our wedding anniversary. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Well, Lucas, you're an amazing guest. You're an amazing human. And I just want to say thank you. I think the world is better because you're here. And uh, do you have any last uh, tips or wisdoms that you'd like to share with us before you go? Um. Yeah. Uh, read, read a lot. It's one of the things, even then it's one of the things that has given me the capacity to make real change, meditate and read, um, find some time to do some meditation and some reading every single day. It, it opens your, your life up to self-reflection and, and self-reflection is the thing that gets us out of everything. Right. You know this. Your guests probably have heard it before. Uh, take it seriously. Read a lot. Meditate. 10-4. Roger that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being a guest. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was great. If you like mommy, so leave a review. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener. I am truly grateful for you. And if this podcast has inspired you in any way, head over to iTunes and leave a written review. I would appreciate it so much. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for helping to spread the word by sharing this show with your friends.